from deep inside your audio device of choice. Hey, some exciting news, ladies and gentlemen. We now know why some humans in certain parts of the world have more Neanderthal DNA than others. I know you've wondered, as you've wandered through the streets of your city, hmm, lots of Neanderthal DNA around here. No, it's um, actually scientists have done some research published this week that uh, tell us of the genetic legacy of the Neanderthals, archaic relatives of our species, with more precision in terms of uh, the percentage of DNA in the blood than ever before. Most humans alive today can trace a very small percentage of their DNA to Neanderthals. That's a result, of course, of prehistoric encounters between our ancestors and that now exotic Stone Age hominin before they disappeared around 40,000 years ago. Where'd they go? We don't know. But Neanderthal DNA is slightly more abundant in the genomes of East Asian populations. This discrepancy has long perplexed scientists because uh, Neanderthal remains are mainly found across Europe and the Middle East, but not further east of the Atlas Mountains. That's in Central Asia, for those of you who skipped geography. What's puzzling, there's an area where we've never found any Neanderthal remains. There's more Neanderthal DNA, said the study co-author. On average, Neanderthal DNA accounts for about 2% of genetic makeup of people in Eurasia, while in East Asia, the proportion can be as high as 4%. The uh, researcher Matthias Kura and his colleagues at the University of Geneva came up with an explanation for this inconsistency. They analyzed the distribution of DNA inherited from Neanderthals in the genomes of humans over the past 40,000 years. That's a while. We're beginning to have enough data to describe more and more precisely the percentage of DNA in the Neanderthal origin in the genomes of Sapiens, that's us, at certain periods of prehistory, he explained. Over time, the distribution of Neanderthal DNA didn't always look as it does now. Study team mixed information from a database of more than 4,000 ancient genomes from across Europe and Asia. The genomes of Stone Age Homo sapiens who lived as hunter-gatherers in Europe. Those were the days. That's after Neanderthal extinction. Contained a slightly higher proportion of Neanderthal DNA than those who lived in Asia. The study team thereby concluded that the current pattern of a higher percentage of Neanderthal ancestry in Asian populations compared with those in Europe must have developed at a later stage. Most likely during the Neolithic transition when farming began to replace hunting and gathering as a way of life 
some 10,000 to 5,000 years ago. Not that long ago, at that point in time, the first farmers from what's now western Turkey began to mix with the existing hunter-gatherers in western and northern Europe. That resulted in a lower proportion of Neanderthal DNA in European genomes during that period. There's a simpler way to understand all this, and it's coming right up. Hello, welcome to the show. Creatures, but not one shares your fetching features. You've got it all. So Neanderthal, just one glimpse of your prominent brow makes me want to get it on right now. So strong, so tall, so Neanderthal. Louisiana. It's the only New Orleans I know, actually. I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. And we finally have an answer to another question. What's with the kids? What is with the kids? The answer? Herbicides. 
Herbicides are widely used to kill weeds so the crops and other desired plants can grow, but their use comes at a steep price. Study published recently found that children in farming communities in Ecuador, where popular herbicides are used, those children experienced decreased neurocognitive performance and negative effects on their mood and brain development. The kids aren't all right. The study is published in Environmental Health Perspectives, focuses on the effects of the two most common herbicides, glyphosate, we know it as Roundup, and 2.4-dichlorophenyloxyacetic acid. Thank you very much. The latter of which has been used since the 1940s. In 1996, Monsanto, which um, developed in the 70s by uh, developed glyphosate, they patented a line of genetically modified seeds. The uh, in the in the 2010s, 2.4 dichlo, you know, the one I just said, uh, resistant crops were introduced into the market. Since then, the use of both herbicides has exploded. Not the kids' brains. Yet, scientists conducting the study analyzed urine samples, pardon me, of hundreds of 11 11 to 17-year-olds in Pedro Moncayo, a rural agricultural county in the Andes Mountains in Ecuador, where I guess they don't mind sharing their samples. Quote, there's a population that's now chronically exposed to pesticides, says uh, one of the authors of the study. Ecuador has become one of the largest exporters of roses in the world, especially Pedro Moncayo County, especially to America and Europe. About 21% of the local adults work in the floricultural industry. More than 50 different fungicides and over 20 different insecticides are hand-sprayed. Glyphosate was found in 98% of the adolescents who participated in the study. 2.4-dichlorophenoxyacetic acid was detected in 66% of them. Higher concentrations of glyphosate were associated with lower scores in social perception, like the ability to recognize moods and emotions in others. The uh, lead author wrote, quote, many chronic diseases and mental health disorders in adolescents and young adults have increased over the last two decades worldwide and exposure to neurotoxic contaminants in the environment could explain a part of this increase. Along with its blooming or booming flower industry, farmers in Pedro Moncayo also growing core grow corn, wheat, barley, potatoes, strawberries, and other greens, and use herbicides in their cultivation. The researchers suggest the young people they studied may have been exposed to the chemicals through pesticide drift. Particles drift away from their intended target of crops to find human beings instead. Another potential pathway to exposure is through cohabitation with family members, pardon me, who work in agriculture and are exposed to pesticides. Other pathways for exposure would include residential pesticide use or contact with dust, water, or food contaminated 
by pesticides. None of the adolescents in the study worked in ag. These are chemicals used in the United States very, very commonly, said the lead researcher, including in the Midwest, California, San Joaquin Valley, and other ag centers. Ecuadorian farmers use handheld sprayers to disseminate the pesticides on their crops. But as you probably know here in the good old USA, it's much more common for farmers and ag biz to use airplanes to spray crops with pesticides. That increases the risk for the chemicals to drift into nearby communities, according to the researcher. Uh, One of the co-authors of the study added there might be more genetically modified crops in the U.S. where the use of herbicides, especially as a desiccant, drying crops faster, allows them to ripen and be harvested faster, is ever more common. Quote, cognition is always something we're concerned about as parents, the lead author said. The research that we're doing here will hopefully lead to more scrutiny for all the pesticides that are being used in the industry right now. No, the who, the kids aren't all right. And now, news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol III. Well, this week in Paris, French police raided the headquarters of the Paris 2024 Olympics Committee. It was yet another probe in connection with an ongoing investigation into alleged favoritism in awarding contracts for the Games. That's never happened before, except for last time in Tokyo. Organizers of the Paris 2024 Olympics said their headquarters was raided by the country's national financial prosecutor. A judicial source said the raid, which also targeted event management firms, was part of this ongoing probe into alleged favoritism. The Olympic Committee said in a statement to reporters the office had obtained all the information it requested. It was cooperating fully with the investigation, as it has always done. Unquote. The raid, which also targeted companies involved in putting on the opening ceremony, is part of a probe opened into suspicion of, quote, illegal taking of interest, favoritism, and concealment, unquote, and the award of several contracts. That's what a source told Reuters. The probe was opened after raids conducted in June of this year in connection with previous probes, and those raids... Investigators searched the committee's headquarters in Saint-Denis, north of Paris, as well as Solideo, the public entity that is building the infrastructure for the Olympic and Paralympic Games. Well, why wouldn't you investigate it? It's a movement. And we all need one. Every day! Now, some news of our friend the Adam. A few days ago, a giant yellow machine called a concrete cracker. You talking to me? 
No, I wasn't. Turned a building at the former Vermont Yankee nuclear plant into rubble. Workers have been deconstructing the building, which formerly housed a steam turbine for several weeks. It was one component of the boiling water reactor system that at one time produced 35% of Vermont's electric needs. Nuclear plant operated from 72 until 2014, when its then-owner, Entergy Nuclear Vermont Yankee, closed the planet after it was no longer able to compete with cheaper electricity produced by natural gas plants. In 2019, another private company, Northstar, began decommissioning the plant. Goal was completely disassembling it by 2030. Now the only buildings remaining on the property are offices in the tower that formerly held the nuclear reactor. Chief Executive Officer of North Star, the company that owns the former plant, said at a press conference the company is still on track to have the entire property decommissioned before the end of 2026, four years ahead of schedule. All its work so far has occurred without significant safety incidents, he said. The project's cost will remain within its $600 million budget. $600 million to tear it down. When the work is done, the lot will appear empty. Except the company does not have a plan for the spent fuel, which is currently stored in dry casks designed to protect people in the environment from dangerous levels of radiation. Northstar had planned to remove the casks of of spent fuel and send them to a temporary storage facility in Texas, but a federal court ruling a couple of months ago took that option off the table, concluding that the license for the facility was invalid. As it stands today, spent fuel is going to sit where it's been sitting For some time, the head of Vermont Yankee told reporters, much like other spent fuel elsewhere in the country, the workers sent approximately three to four rain cars full of non-fuel radioactive waste from the site to a Texas facility every week. That ruling by the Fifth Circuit of the U.S. Court of Appeals Right here in New Orleans is the latest development in a year-long saga, years-long saga, over storing the country's spent fuel, which can remain radioactive for, oh, thousands of years. Congress has required the U.S. Department of Energy to find a permanent storage location for all the country's spent fuel. As you know, we once had such a site picked by Congress, Yucca Mountain in Nevada, in 2002, but uh, nine years later, after a spate of opposition from the state and region, Congress withdrew federal funding from that site. Now, most of the country's nuclear waste remains on the same site where it was produced. Until the Department of Energy finds a permanent storage site, set your watches. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission has attempted to license sites for the purpose of temporarily storing spent nuclear fuel. North Star planned to send its spent fuel to the Texas site, but the state government argued the commission did not have the authority to license any temporary storage facilities, and in August, the Fifth Circuit cited 
with Texas. It argued the commission did not have authority under the Atomic Energy Act to grant a license, meaning we don't have a licensed facility anymore. Asked what's next, the North Star CEO said the Nuclear Regulatory Commission will have to decide whether to challenge the court's decision and take it to the United States Supreme Court. But according to him, the head of uh, this particular company, the issue is not North Star's fight. Quote, I think ultimately there's going to have to be some meeting of the minds amongst the various states that host nuclear facilities, he said. He also says the dry casks are stable and could sit at that site for hundreds of years before degrading. Of course, if it's radioactive for much longer than that, well, you know. And Dayland Richland, Washington Energy Northwest will receive a second white finding for an incident May two years ago that unexpectedly and significantly exposed workers to radiation. Um, That's what the company was told in a meeting with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Energy Northwest is in Richland, Washington. The additional white finding is related to inadequate checks of workers who inhaled radioactive particles, preventing the company from correctly assessing their internal dose of radiation. According to the commission, a white finding is for issues of low to moderate safety significance. It can lead to additional NRC inspections to make sure issues have been corrected. Of course, you can't correct them having inhaled that stuff. Two of them were pipe fitters. They received the uh, largest dose. One of them testified during a meeting with the NRC. Both the pipe fitters were exposed to much higher doses of radiation than they were told at the time, including radiation from plutonium. One of the pipe fitters sets off radiation portals when he enters nuclear plants to work there. The other is unable to work. Energy Northwest failed in the incident to take timely measurements of airborne concentrations of radioactive materials in work areas, to collect as many urine and fecal samples as were needed to provide good test results, well, you know, and to evaluate certain isotopes in workers' bodies, including plutonium, including to an NRC report. Quote, these failures resulted in an inability for the licensee, Energy Northwest, to properly assess the dose accrued by the pipe fitters, unquote. According to the report, the initial white finding of a no-no was related to the company's failure to provide adequate radiological controls for the work that resulted in the worker exposure. The entire Energy Northwest leadership team takes this situation very seriously, says the chief executive officer of the company. We failed, quoting him, we failed to protect workers from unplanned radiation exposure during our refueling outage in 2021 and then did not appropriately perform follow-ups. We are disappointed with the actions that led to these findings and they do not reflect our core value of safety first. Work was, unquote, the chief executive officer of the company. 
That core value of safety first, that's a hard one to uh, reflect. Um, the work was only stopped after the two pipe fitters finished the work and left the area where they set off alarms. The NRC said their initial radiation reading, quote, went off scale high, unquote. That makes for a good life. Not only were procedures inadequate, but Energy Northwest did not have the equipment or personnel available to address the contamination, the level thereof, and to assess the dose within workers' bodies, according to the NRC. But they did have the equipment and personnel necessary to assess when lunch was. Two men this week confessed to deliberately bypassing testing protocols essential to keeping nuclear power plants safe. This happened not once, not twice, but 29 times, according to the British tech journal The Register. Miguel Amaro and Martin Ramos, both from Pennsylvania. No, sorry, first one was from Delaware, right next door. Both pleaded guilty to a single count of making and using a materially false document aiding and abetting the same for their respective roles in creating false calibration certifications. It wasn't just one nuclear plant where they were cutting corners. According to the Justice Department, the duo faked certifications that would show acoustic emissions testing had been done by calibrated instruments in several plants over a period that stretched for over a decade. Acoustic emissions testing is important. It's how engineers can check the structural integrity of components without shaking, moving, or otherwise impacting their serviceability. The pair were responsible for ascertaining their employer's AE testing kit was compliant. According to the Justice Department, the uh, AE testing equipment was used to determine, among other things, the structural integrity of heavy lifting components, such as your cranes and your rigging that handled critical components of a nuclear reactor, including fuel. Unquote. Two guys will be sentenced early next year. The original indictment isn't public, so we don't know what their motivation for their actions could be. And finally, among our nuclear friends, a multinational nuclear power company has been hit by an official crackdown because of cybersecurity failures that critics warned were, quote, a very real and present danger, unquote. This is from an independent Scottish publication called The Ferret. Oversight of EDF energy by the UK government safety watchdog has been, quote, significantly enhanced to combat shortfalls in defenses against digital attacks. This means more inspections and increased scrutiny of EDF's cybersecurity. EDF, as you may know, is a French government country co- company that runs the French nuclear plants and one in Scotland at Torness and four in England. It's also building a new nuclear plant at Hinkley Point in Somerset, England. Critics described EDF's failure to properly protect its nuclear operations from potentially dangerous cyber attacks as, quote, incomprehensible, unquote. 
EDF is confident, though, its cybersecurity was robust and there's no risk to nuclear safety. It promised to continually improve its management of threats so that regulation by the government could return to a routine level. No details of its cybersecurity failings have been released because of fear that that would help would-be hackers. The Office for Nuclear Regulation, that's in Britain, initially put the company, EDF, under, quote, enhanced, unquote, attention in last year because of concerns about its cybersecurity, but now a new report from the chief nuclear inspector of the regulator revealed that regulation has now been toughened. EDF did not meet its commitment to provide us with a comprehensive and fully resourced cybersecurity improvement plan as agreed by the end of March, said the chief inspector of the regulator. Let's all be a little more careful, huh, guys? News of our friend, the Adam. And now, speaking of sorrow, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. Dateline Rochester, New York. Rochester Gas and Electric, company that's been located in Rochester, New York, for 175 years, is apologizing for sending its customers an email that included stock images of Rochester, Minnesota. The email went out from Patricia Nielsen, president and CEO of Rochester Gas and Electric. It detailed a number of commitments and investments the utility is making in Rochester. Our commitment to this area runs deep, it said, in part. The email included three stock photos, purportedly of the city of Rochester, New York, but it turns out they were photographs of Rochester, Minnesota. After being called out by a number of customers on social media, the company resent the email with fresh pictures of its actual locality and posted this update to Twitter. Quote, our customers received an email today about our economic development efforts in the Flower City, but it contained photos of another beautiful Rochester. We apologize for this error and are resending Dateline New York, the president of the Public Relations Society of America, got some bad publicity. She sent an email, did Carmela Glover, to members of the society to offer a heartfelt apology on behalf of the chapter for her October 14th message. This is three days later she sends this email. Her October 14th message that, quote, caused disappointment and hurt to some of our valued members, unquote. The earlier email was about how PRSA, Public Relations Society of America, New York branch, is deeply saddened and troubled by the recent acts of terrorism in Israel and Gaza. 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 The subject line read, quote, Statement and Pledge of Support for Israel from PRSA New York, President Carmela Glover. In the later email, Glover expressed regret about the, quote, insensitivity in our subject line, which was thoughtless, partial, and irresponsible. It was especially disheartening coming from a professional association that advocates for ethical behaviors and messaging, unquote. Her original intention was to convey a message of support and unity for all those who were affected by the violence in Israel and Gaza. Quote, however, I acknowledge we we missed the mark, to say the least, and for this I take full responsibility, unquote. Uh, Quoting again, in PRSA New York's haste to show solidarity, 
It failed to consider the broader implications of our message. We deeply, deeply mourn the loss of innocent lives and the distortion of information that has taken place. We also understand and condemn the unchecked misinformation and disinformation that persists. A Cornell University history professor who came under intense scrutiny after he called the deadly Hamas terrorist attacks on Israel, quote, exhilarating and energizing, unquote, has now apologized for his controversial remarks days after the college confirmed he was investigating his comments. Quote, I apologize for the horrible choice of words that I used in a portion of a speech that was intended to stress grassroots African-American Jewish and Pal Palestinian traditions of resistance to oppression, unquote, Associate Professor Russell Rickford state, stated to the Cornell Daily Sun school's newspaper. I recognize, he says, some of the language I used was reprehensible and did not reflect my values. As I said in the speech, I abhor violence and the violent targeting of civilians. I'm sorry for the pain that my reckless remarks have caused my family, my students, my colleagues, and many others in this time of suffering. He was speaking at a pro-Palestinian rally near the Cornell campus when he referred to the attacks on Israel as exhilarating. The president of the university and head of the board of trustees called his remarks reprehensible, said his actions were under review. Quote, the university is taking this incident seriously. The judge presiding over Donald Trump's $250 million civil fraud trial in New York raised the possibility this week of putting the former president behind bars, this after Trump failed to comply with a partial gag order requiring him to remove a post condemning the judge's law clerk on social media. This was according to NBC News. There's still NBC News. Judge Arthur Engoron said in court on Friday morning Trump had posted on his social media account, quote, an untrue and disparaging post about my clerk, unquote, and that he spoke to the former president about the matter. Quote, I ordered him to remove the post immediately, and he said he did take it down, said the judge. Despite this order, last night I learned the offending post was never removed from a website. This is a blatant violation of the gag order. I made it clear failure to comply will result in serious sanctions, the judge added. Trump's attorney, Christopher Keiss, said, based on his understanding, this was truly inadvertent. He said the post was taken down from Trump's Truth Social Network after the judge's ruling. Trump never made any more comments about court staff, but appears no one took it down on the campaign website. It is unfortunate, said the attorney, and I apologize on behalf of my client. Who never apologizes. No one. He didn't say that. Dayline Lansing, Michigan. Former Michigan gubernatorial candidate Ryan Kelly is the latest January 6th rioter headed to prison. Two months for his role. The federal judge sentenced him to those days, along with one year of probation and a $1,000 fine after he pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor crime for those actions, according to the AP. He reportedly apologized during a sentencing hearing this week, but the judge, Christopher Cooper, said he had serious concerns about whether Kelly was 
truly remorseful. He had sought to avoid jail time. Really? You think? In a court filing, prosecutors had pointed to multiple statements Kelly made on social media, quote, making light of the riot, falsely denying that any violence took place, and insisting that he engaged in no wrongdoing. Said the judge, he's failed to express sincere remorse. It's the best kind. Deadline Taipei, the Grand Hotel in Taipei, apologized this week for mistakenly printing People's Republic of China on the menu for a banquet. Held by Minister of Digital Affairs Audrey Tang this week, the official name of Taiwan is Republic of China, and it was mistakenly written as People's Republic of China. That's a much bigger place. Grand Hotel issued a statement apologizing for the incident. It said the error was caused by hotel staff not proofreading the English version of the menu menu thoroughly. Staff apologized immediately to guests at the banquet after being notified of the mistake. And the hotel said it would be more careful in the future to ensure that the place doesn't get bombed. The BBC issued an apology for the way it characterized demonstrations supporting Palestinians amid the ongoing conflict. In the Middle East, quote, earlier we reported on some of the pro-Palestinian demonstrations at the weekend, said the chief presenter at BBC News on Twitter. We spoke about several demonstrations across Britain during which people voiced their backing for Hamas. We accept this was poorly phrased and was a misleading description of the demonstrations, unquote. The apology was also read on the BBC's air live by somebody who didn't sound like that. Patients and employees at a Boise, Idaho-based St. Luke's Health System reported receiving a flood of text alerts from the system this week. Social media posts from St. Luke's patients show some individuals repeatedly received the same text alert at least 15 to 20 times, even after replying, Stop! St. Luke's said the repeated alerts were unexpected relating to its transition to a new vendor. We're aware of the issue. Actively working to address it, said the health system. Oh, it's a health system. Yes, of course. Not just a hospital. We apologize for any inconvenience this may have caused, they said. And finally, the Northern Star Editorial Board would like to sincerely apologize to Paul McCartney, a musical icon, for our false September 23, 1969 print edition that unethically speculated that he was dead. It continues, however, it's recently come to light that our infamous 1969 article was plagiarized from a an article written a week prior to ours in the Times Delphic, the student-run newspaper of Drake University. To the Times Delphic, we sincerely apologize for plagiarizing your uni- your journalistic efforts. With our 1969 publication, we helped support the untrue international conspiracy theory that McCartney had been replaced by a lookalike. For that, the Northern Star would like to apologize, even if it comes 54 years late. We understand the annoyance that McCartney reported in multiple interviews regarding the rumor. We truly apologize for our contribution to supporting an unfounded conspiracy theory, unquote. The Northern Star. Apologies of the Week, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
I was alone, I took a ride, I didn't know what I would find then. Another road where maybe I could see another kind of mind then. Ooh, then I suddenly see you. Ooh, did I tell you I need you every single You knew I wanted just to hold you And had you gone, you knew in time We'd meet again for I had told you Ooh, you were meant to be near me Ooh, and I want you to hear me Say we'll be together And now, ladies and gentlemen, some news from the Let Us Try people. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, that's their motto. The estimated future cost to clean up 19 sites contaminated by nuclear waste from the Cold War era has risen by nearly $1 billion in the past seven years. According to a report issued by the U.S. Government Accountability Office, the GAO urges the Army Corps of Engineers to improve management practices for cleaning up contaminated sites under the Formerly Utilized Sites Remedial Action Program, or FUSRAP. They recommend... <laughs> At least it's not FUBAR. The recommendations include improved planning so resources can be better shared among sites, and developing more comprehensive cost estimates. Officials say inflation is partly to blame for the cost increase, along with uncertainties about the cleanup. The report found that four sites with, quote, complicated cleanup remedies or large amounts of contamination, unquote, are responsible for about three-fourths of the cost increase. All told, the 19 FUSRAP sites are in Eight states all in the eastern Midwest. The uh, Department of Defense said they would work to implement the GAO's recommendations. Quote, the Army Corps of Engineers remains committed to cleaning up and completing projects being executed under FUSRAP to protect the health and well-being of communities and environment. A statement from the agency said, we have received the report and we are currently working to address their recommendations. Contamination largely consists of low levels of your uranium, your thorium, your radium, and associated decay products. According to the CDC, exposure over a long period to that stuff may result in anemia, cataracts, and other health conditions. In the... Uh, St. Louis region, the GAO report, said the cost of cleaning up contaminated Coldwater Creek had increased by 130 percent 
because um, the scope of the work expanded to address contamination, not just in the creek itself, but in its floodplain. Well, that's nice of them. I guess that's worth it. And Dateline Lewis to New York. In August, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers was awarded a contract to begin the removal of waste hanging over from the Manhattan Project. That's a long time ago. Residents of Niagara County were able to learn more about the uh, Army Corps' plan at an information session at a senior center. Quote, right now we're reviewing work plans and we're anticipating spring time frame for getting that cleanup started, said the project manager, Brent Laspada. This is the cleanup of the Manhattan Project, ladies and gentlemen. Ask your granddad. More than 390,000 tons of waste have been stored in the interim waste containment structure since the mid-1980s. It was first stored at the Lake Ontario Ordnance Works site in 1944. Let's move it again. Phase one of the project will see the removal of radioactive material present throughout the 191-acre site. The Army Corps says work will begin next spring and take several years to complete. Says Lespada, the head of the team, quote, the anticipation is that safety is our number one priority. And we're going to maintain that by continuing sampling and monitoring and keep everybody up to date on what we're doing, unquote. The anticipation is that safety is our number one priority. Let us know when you know for sure. Sir, based on preliminary timelines published by the Corps of Engineers, the full removal of the Manhattan Project won't be complete until sometime between 2038 and 2040. The estimated cost right now to remove the waste is more than $500 million. There were um, cross-country runners running across the uh, field under which the stuff was buried. This is in, uh, as I said, Lewiston, New York. And many cross-country runners reported burns on their legs and arms from brushing up brushing up against the vegetation on the former Manhattan Project site. Well, let them try. And now, just a little taste of musk love. Looks like musk love. Australia Internet Safety Watchdog I don't know what it's called, but it has slapped a $386,000 fine, it's American, on Elon Musk's ex, formerly Twitter, for failing to cooperate with a probe into anti-child abuse practices. This comes after Musk in a post last November said that, quote, removing child exploitation is priority number one, unquote. Not safety. The E-Safety Commission in Australia, this is according to the BBC reporting in Australia, well, they used to run it, criticized the firm's empty talk on the issue. Insiders had earlier told the BBC they would not be able to protect users from trolling following mass layoffs at X. Under Australian laws, 
took effect a couple of years ago. The regulator can force Internet companies to give information about their online safety practices or face a fine. If the fine's not paid, the regulator can pursue the company in court. If the company doesn't show up in court, they can whistle. Alphabet's Google was also issued a warning for noncompliance with its request for information about handling of child abuse content. But X's noncompliance was more serious. The regulator said the company failed to provide any response to some questions, leaving some sections entirely blank. Let's represent outer space, I think. The regulator in Australia said, quote, Twitter X did not respond to a number of key questions, including the time it takes the platform to respond to reports of child sexual exploitation, the measures it has in place to detect child sexual exploitation in live streams, and the tools and technologies it uses to detect child sexual exploitation material. Unquote. The company confirmed to the regulator it had cut 80% of its workforce and has no public policy staff in Australia, unlike the two it had before it got musked. Last month, X was criticized by Australian researchers for disabling a feature that allowed users to report misinformation about elections. The move has fueled concern as it came ahead of a key Australia referendum, which took place last weekend, to give indigenous people more rights. The BBC approached X for comment and got none, but they did not get a poop emoji. Guess that's gone. And a Scottish couple is letting the world know about their discontent after being quoted $21,000 at current exchange rates to replace their Tesla Model Y batteries. The reason the power supply needed replacing? Driving while the weather was bad. That's what they claim. Johnny Basigalupo and Rob Hussey said the trouble started after they went out to di- eat dinner earlier this month, admitting it was quite rainy in Edinburgh where they were dining. They said their Model Y was fine on the way to the restaurant but refused to start when they tried to leave. They waited nearly five hours for a tow truck to reach them from Tesla support. From the beginning, then, they claimed the automaker's customer service department was less helpful than they believed reasonable. After a few annoyingly difficult further calls and one failed collection attempt, our car was collected by a firm suitable for Tesla collection and delivered to Tesla Edinburgh about 1 a.m., said Basigalupo. After complaints from me, we received a call at 5.30 p.m., saying the battery was damaged due to water ingress, and it was unfortunately not covered by the battery's eight-year warranty, and so the repair would be about 17,500 pounds. Did I wish to proceed? I was flabbergasted and couldn't really find my words, unquote. Basigalupo said he was expecting 600 to 1,012, 200 bill at worst, although he was in shock. He managed to get a manager on the phone to explain how the bill could be so large. He told me it had water in it due to the fact that weather in Scotland had been so bad. That was the issue. They said it's not necessarily my fault. 
but it's not Tesla's to pay under warranty, he said. I pushed him on this, and I said, I've never heard of something like this happening. He said it can happen with Range Rovers and Mercs, but I'm just not buying it. The uh, couple said that rain in Edinburgh was not unusual for the area. Masiga Lupo said his experience has been so bad, it's making him question his decision to buy a Tesla. Quote, to date, it's been a disaster of a service, and the stress and worry of this is excruciating. I said to the manager, so my understanding is Teslas are unfit for purpose in Scotland, he said. If I'd known the customer service would be so bad, I'm not sure I would have bothered buying the car. Unquote. Shared with you because he's not the only one. And finally, news of crypto winter, decentralized finance protocol Platypus has lost over $2 million in assets, suffered another flash loan exploit on its platform. The protocol suspended all of its pools in response to the attack. According to the blockchain security platform Certike, the D5 platform, Platypus, suffered three attacks, $2.23 million taken across the exploits. On October 12th, the first attack took place, extracting $1.2 million from the platform. A second attack occurred hours later, stealing 575000 worth of assets. Just a minute later, the third attack occurred, with 450,000 assets lost. Platypus is an automated market maker protocol that allows digital assets to be traded automatically by using liquidity pools instead of the more traditional markets where there are buyers and sellers. In a flash loan attack, traders exploit a vulnerability that will allow them to instantaneously borrow crypto without providing the necessary collateral. Platypus denied that they got a bill from a duck. Thank you very much. Drive safely. This is your favorite ex-president with some bad news and some good news. As you probably know if you follow the fake news, two different judges have come up with so-called gag orders against me. Apparently they didn't ever read the First Amendment, although I don't think I'm even allowed to say that. A lot of my supporters think I should defy these orders, continue to speak my mind about lame-brained anti-American perverts in robes. These are people who have never spent a night in an American jail. But I've got a better idea. If you want to know what Donald Trump thinks about judges and prosecutors, you should do what I do. Listen to Donald Trump Jr., Yes, from now on, my oldest son will be taking a break from running my spectacular hotels. He'll be my only official spokesman. Want to know who's a sexual degenerate? Who's suffering from terminal brain disease? Ask Junior. He's got the inside scoop. And better yet, he doesn't have a gag order. Until he does, he's your direct line to me. Like Bergen had McCarthy. Like Winchell had Mahoney. Trump's got Trump. And that's no gag.
ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. Back next week, same time, same radio station, or on your audio device of choice whenever you want it. And it'll be just like Jim Jordan finding a new job. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Already, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead, and Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans, and the Y desk for help with today's program. The email address for this broadcast, your chance to get Cards I Talk t-shirts, and the playlist of the music here on, and a lot of other stuff. I, I can't even start to go into it. Because I don't remember. All at harryshare.com. And me? Yeah. I'm right here on the radio. comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station is the Changes Easy Radio Network. So long from the Crescent City. <laughs>